0: My guest today is a military police officer for the U.S. Army. He also has a book, Ghost of the Valleys, available on Amazon. Give a warm welcome to Sean Tobias Ambries. The interviewer with Beef Tech. What's going on, man? How you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm good. Thank you for having me. How how you been? Hanging Good. in there with the corona? <laughs> Trying to. So um, you're in the uh, military, army, police, correct?
1: Yeah, I've been uh, I've been in the military police corps for the past twelve years now. And
0: the protesting, are you involved in these uh, um, securing federal buildings or anything like that?
1: No, that's mainly, uh, it's mainly like national guard and stuff like that. We, me as active duty, we can't get involved. Yeah. Um,
0: have you done stuff like that in other countries or. With protesting? protesting. Yeah. Have you ever secured a protest anywhere?
1: Um, kind of, I was at, uh, was it November? November to March or I don't know, but it was uh two thousand and eighteen. I was at the border when all that stuff kicked off, and so my company got activated to help reinforce and build the border wall for President Trump. And then we went from Arizona to Texas um for like a quick reaction force because there was a mass amount of uh immigrants that were trying to cross over um in Eagles Pass, Texas over this bridge in, into America, they were going to threatening to push their way through essentially. And so we were activated to, um, kind of be like a riot control, work with the border patrol, the BORTAC special forces and, um, SRT guys to kind of sustain the situation, which thankfully, because of our presence, they never actually attempted to cross. So, um, <clears throat> how many people are in your company? I'm just curious. Well, right now I'm, I'm, uh, I'm at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Um, I'm in an p- instructor position, and so I'm not in a what we call a line unit, so I don't have any soldiers under me for the first time. Um, I'm just in a, a stru- instructor role. But when I was at my last unit uh, before I got here to Missouri last year, I was a platoon sergeant, and essentially I was in charge of usually anywhere between 39 to 45 soldiers um and that was that was just my platoon a company has essentially three main platoons and a headquarters platoon so mp company could have anywhere between 150 to 180 uh, at, at max capacity probably uh soldiers that's all that's
0: a lot of people to keep track of man yeah yeah you <laughs> definitely learn time time and personnel management at a young Especially age. soldiers too. They're a little bit more stubborn, aren't they? Or do they just follow well, yeah. orders?
1: Yeah, uh, you. you, you think, <laughs> I mean, you, you'll occasionally have your good soldier, but yeah, you, uh, you're going to run into those young soldiers that will give you issues and stuff. So, so,
0: so how how what's like how long have you been in the military for?
1: Uh, twelve years. Well, thirteen years. Come this next February.
0: Yeah. It's a long time. So is 20 years like the retirement age after you've been in for 20?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I'll I'll retire at 39.
0: Wow. That's great, man. What are you going to do then?
1: (laughs) I know. And I have a nice little pension. I could retire, you know, before I'm the age of 40. So it'd be nice. Nice.
0: Do you think you're going to work or you think you're going to keep on
1: going? Yeah. Yeah. I'll probably take a couple months off, six months off or something. Um, Just kind of be with the wife and then... I'll probably pick up another job somewhere else. I'm not really quite sure what yet, but.
0: So this book that you wrote, um, um, ghost of the Valley. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about one of the stories or it's in the book.
1: Um, so essentially I wrote a book about my experiences in Afghanistan and I didn't want it to be a biography. I wanted it to be more of a memoir and I wanted to tell the stories of small, small unit, team tactics, leadership, resilience, stuff like that. And, um, and so I can kind of paint you a little picture. So the book itself is 10 chapters long, but of the 10 chapters, only nine of them are readable. The 10th chapter is a resource chapter that provides websites, phone numbers and different links and information for veterans uh to get help for PTSD suicide um really just any type of resource so that way if they pick up my book they could have that on them um of the nine readable chapters the first chapter kind of throws you into a situation during my second deployment kind of kind of just throws you right into the mix of a of a fight uh catches a reader's attention uh chapter 2 kind of flashes back and talks a little bit about my background just to kind of set it up for the reader uh, chapter 3 uh, goes into after boot camp and and go to my first duty station and the train-up to the deployment. Um, t- chapter 4 talks a little bit about um, just kind of what was going on in the deployment prior to uh, one of the, big, the first big battles. Um, chapter 5 talks about a major battle I fought in. Um, I don't know how much you are involved or, or know of uh, military history, but essentially there was a battle that took place in October of 2009, in which 400 plus Taliban enemy fighters uh, surrounded and overran a combat outpost in northeastern Afghanistan, um, and it was like 20 Americans pretty much held their ground against 400 Taliban. Wow! Taliban, that, 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 I, this isn't the battle I was involved in, but this was my unit. Um, and so the Taliban actually got inside the compound. So there was enemy in the wire and, um, and you know, it was one of the most, uh, decorated units. There were two medal of honors, a distinguished service cross, a couple of stars, a couple bronze stars of valor, like 27 purple hearts. So it was a very, very intense battle. Well, exactly 30 days, pretty much right before that battle kicked off, um, 10 miles South, uh, is where my battle took place and pretty much we were the prelude to that major the bloodiest battle in Afghanistan. Um, the enemy fighters are, were using us as target practice to prepare for that, that upcoming battle. So that's kind of what happens. It was uh, yeah. It was a mission in which my LT was cut off by, by snipers. Um, you know two squads were pinned down up a mountain. We thought they were 200 meters up, ended up they were 2,000. Uh, eight of us, eight of us volunteered to go up and be a part of a rescue mission, and it uh, it kind of just kind of got worse from there. Um, <clears throat> as far as like little to no supplies, no water, no medical equipment. Uh, you know, we were taking on more wounded. Um, we had to call in Broken Arrow. What's Broken Arrow? Uh, broken Arrow is a uh, old term that was used in the Vietnam era. It's not really an official military term anymore, but pretty much if you're in the military, especially if you're deployed, you you kind of um, you know what that term means. But it used to be an official term that if someone got on the radio and they called a broken arrow, that meant that that unit was in uh, or on the verge of being completely overrun or, or overwhelmed, and that if they did not get air assets, that they were going to all die pretty much. And so it was a very it was like a code phrase that went out over the radio, and if you heard that. Everyone needs to help. And so my first sergeant that was part of the rescue team with us, he, he called a broken arrow. And um, we got, you know, a C-130 Spectre gunship, two S-16s, two Kiowa helicopters, two Blackhawks, two Apaches. Every air asset that was available in Afghanistan had to come to our location um, because we were being too overwhelmed um, from the enemy fire. Um, and uh, so, I mean, it was a successful, I guess you could say um, –
0: when this is happening, when this is happening to you, do you get, are you calm or how, how do you feel, how are you feeling emotionally?
1: Uh, well, so that, that chapter in the book, chapter five, talks about this battle and, and essentially this is my first deployment. I'm a, I'm a private. And during this time, I, I don't know what to think or feel. I, I, uh, I'm obviously very scared and um, I kind of accepted defeat. I, I didn't think that we were going to get out of there without paying a higher price. Um, you know, nothing was really going our way. Uh, but I talk a lot in the book about how every time I thought, or I was about to give up, I looked up and my leaders were formulating the next phase of the plan. They were, um, you know, they, they, they remained calm. Like, and these are the older guys that, you know, they'd been to Afghanistan once before Iraq a couple times. Um, so they'd been there, done that. And this was my first. And so, uh, I talk about a lot of my leadership uh, qualities and my my building block of who I am today was really built on that day um, in, in in September of 2009 um, so
0: like kind of more to the point on this one kind of so like the average non-military person yeah you kind of get a, a idea what this emotional roller coaster is all about is it like when you get in a car accident or something like that, the adrenaline is it pumping through the whole time when you're fighting, or how how are you feeling physically? Is yeah, like
1: no, it's uh, it's definitely it drains you mentally and physically. So, I mean, you, you well again. I don't know how my NCOs felt the guys who had been there, done that. They've probably seen worse. They've, you know, been situations like this before. So I I don't know how they were feeling, but I could tell you for, for a guy who had never been there before, who was a, you know, I was a private, I was a soldier, you know, low on the totem pole. Um, this was my first real experience to seeing death and war. And, um, you know, it, it kept me on my toes. The adrenaline kept me moving every, every minute, uh, You know, I mean, there was a point in the battle towards the end where I was reaching heat exhaustion because we had no water and my body was slowly giving out of me. And I, you know, even for me being in the shape that I was back then at 18, 19 years old, um, you know, my body was shutting down. I was passing out uh, from exhaustion. And, um, you know, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, the adrenaline keeps you going, but mentally, you, you know, when I, when I got to the bottom of the mountain, it was all said and done. I remember just collapsing to the back of my truck cause I was so mentally drained. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what to think. I didn't know how to process it all. It was too much information and too many emotions rushing through my brain at once. And I, I did not know how to, uh, organize that information and, and kind of deal with it. How many hours hours were you in battle battle for? For For that day, I think we responded to to the call at like 11 in the morning. And it wasn't until like I because I got wounded that night and I checked into the aid station. I think I got back on base at like seven or eight at night, um, something like that. I can't remember. But it was, you know, it was already dark and we had been on station for for a while. So, um, yeah, I remember I just collapsed that night and I was pretty much I was done mentally and physically and everything.
0: Well, man, that's, uh, I don't know when you joined, what was your motivation about joining the military in the first place?
1: (laughs) So I I talk about it, talk about it in the book a little bit, but essentially, uh, I I joined because my high school sweetheart, you know, my high school sweetheart was a, she was a lot more, um, she was a lot more mature than I was. Uh, She had a plan. She was a year ahead of me. And so essentially, I was dropped out of community college. I did, I did not want to be a part of school anymore, and she wanted a five- year plan, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life and so uh, I always kind of had an interest in the military. you know, I used to play soldier in the backyard with my cousins, but um, but I never really knew what to look into and stuff and, and so that kind of inspired me when she kind of she kind of pushed me into finding out my career. so I uh, yeah, I walked down to the Marine Re- Corps uh, Marine. Uh, Marine Corps re- recruiting station and they were kind of too aggressive for me as far as like, you know, he would call me every day for like two weeks at like six o'clock in the morning. And he'd be like, why are you being a pussy? Why, why haven't you signed up yet? And I like, I don't know. Jesus, he man.
0: <laughs> yeah. He didn't have <laughs> a- doing yeah. that before you even joined.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, and this is like, you know, this is prior to the, you know, Iraq had been kicked off and um, you know, this is prior to the surge in Afghanistan. So, you know, it was really tense for the entire country or the military at that time. That that time, and so they were trying to get people really, really bad, and uh, and so he just didn't have time for me to sit around and think about it. And so I was like, "Well, let me give the army a let me give the army a try and figure out what they have to say." And I had a pretty good uh, recruiter who talked me into going into the MP Corps because I figured I was only going to do five years. You know, I, I would do, go do my five years. Uh, you know, I'd get out. I could say that I served my country. And I'd come back to L.A. and I work LAPD or something, but uh, you couldn't pay me now to go be a police officer. So seems pretty, seems pretty scary, scary right, scary right, now, right man. now, man. I just, I, I just, I cannot stand people <laughs> anymore. I can't stand <laughs> like it's sad when I'd rather be back in Afghanistan than America because you know over there the the Americans that I was with, my buddies, you know, we we all were on the same page. We were of all different races and colors and religions and we all had a same common purpose and there was no bickering of any of this bullshit and this race war. And uh, I think the I race, think race thing is like a, bullshit. Yeah. And, but just killing cops. And I'm not, I'm not on either side. I'm just like, all this is too no, much. Right. Like this is not what we fought for our country for. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a little overwhelming now. And now I just kind of go with the flow and I'm just going to finish my career out.
0: And yeah. So Back to the girlfriend. Are you still with that girl?
1: Um. (laughs) No. So she actually broke up with me uh, the day I left to go um, sign the – or I had gotten back to sign, you know, the contract. So I told her, hey, I got that plan you wanted. I signed up for the military, and it just wasn't her thing, and so she had broken up with me. But I, I had already signed the contract, and it was too late, so I was stuck. Oh, man. So I was like, I was like, oh my god, what did I get myself into? Now I'm going in this alone because I'm thinking, you know, she'll want to marry me, and then I'll take her with me wherever I get stationed, and you know, we'll go live ha- happily ever after. But uh, yeah, no, I ended up going by myself and and doing it alone, and I was really scared and young and just dumb. But uh, it was probably one of the best decisions of my life. And you know, I'm good friends with her still. You know, she's she's married, she has two kids now. Um, and uh you know i i hold no grudges because honestly she pushed me in the direction that I, I needed to go so you know there's no complaints from me
0: well that's good what sign are you what's that what sign are you like uh like birth straw sign or whatever yeah, yeah birth sign uh libra okay that figures i don't really know <laughs> at it i don't either i'm just kidding around man <laughs> uh so, um, so some of the medals that you received, like, give me, give me a lowdown on some of the stuff that you, uh, received in your service so far.
1: Um, so, I mean, I guess working my way down, I, I've received the Presidential Volunteer Service Medal from President Obama. Um, I received, uh, the Audie Murphy medallion or i got inducted into the audie murphy club audie murphy was the most decorated american soldier in our history um and they have a club named after him and we contribute a lot of our time to volunteer into the community and help mentor younger soldiers and stuff um i earned uh the commandant's 100 i was inducted as number nine um essentially the general of the MP Corps, he's in charge of the entire military police corps. He he, They don't do it anymore, but he had a list of the top 100 soldiers, and I got uh, ranked at number nine. This was like 2012. Um, 2011, the U.S. Army inducted me as All-American. Um, and then uh, the two battles from Afghanistan, the highest awards I earned uh, from the first big battle that I explained – I earned a bronze star with valor, um, which is obviously right below a silver star. Uh, the second big battle, which I haven't talked about that, I earned another bronze star with valor and then I received a, a purple heart as well during that first battle. Um, I took shrapnel the second battle, but I didn't, I didn't get a second purple heart for it, which is fine. I didn't need a, two purple hearts. Um, so you you got wounded?
0: How where was your? Uh, how severe was it?
1: Um, not not that bad actually. Um, you know, compared to obviously other guys, um, during that first big battle when we were coming down the mountain from that uh, from that uh, mission that we were you know trying to get all the wounded and dead off the mountain, uh, I was struck by some shrapnel and debris from a, a Russian made B ten rocket. Um, rocket came in exploded i don't know maybe a couple 10 feet from the rock wall i was laying behind and um all the debris and shrapnel peppered uh, the entire area and then knocked the rock wall down and, and then dislocated my shoulder blew it back um and then i had to have one of my ncos realign my shoulder uh, and then my uh, second employment i took a small piece of shrapnel to the face on uh,
0: the on the on the on the, I'm the I- that location, they redid this to your shoulder?
1: Yeah, yeah. After I had gotten hit, and it explains it in the book, af- after I got hit um, and then Broken Arrow was called, the first sergeant told me and one of the other NCOs, Sergeant Lee, to start reconning down the mountain to find a route. It was too dark. Uh, night vision goggles are barely working. You know, We had poor moonlight. We couldn't use flashlights because it gives our position away. We were essentially kicking rocks off ledges to figure out if they were 3 feet or 30 feet. And uh, and so First Sergeant told me and Sergeant Lee to start just sliding down the mountain, find a way down so that we could get the wounded down. And uh, Because the, the way that we had come up the mountain was too treacherous uh, to take the wounded down. Yeah. And so, yeah, as I, as I started sliding down this rock embankment, Sergeant Lee accidentally kicked another rock already onto my already dislocated shoulder, knocked it out completely, completely incapacitated me. I could not move. Um, I, I told Sarnley he had to put it back in, and now I was, I was the medic for this mission, so um, I was kind of walking him through it. But we were under fire at this time, so he was standing on the open. I was leaning up against a rock boulder, and essentially he was trying to punch it in. And then I told him to use his rifle buttstock, and so then Jesus he Jesus Christ, his, man! Yeah, he just took his rifle buttstock and slammed it into my shoulder because it was too hard because I was carrying extra weapons of the wounded, and then obviously my vest that was on me, was covering most of my shoulder, so he couldn't just properly pop it back in place. So he just took the butt stock and slammed it into my arm repeatedly until it kind of went back in.
0: More than one time?
1: Oh, yeah. He punched it. I don't know. I couldn't even tell you. Jesus I was Christ, in. man. It was, it was at least a dozen times until it went back in place.
0: So after the dozen times, he, he's he got bad aim. Um,
1: <laughs> well, it was, it was, I, I don't blame him. It was pitch dark. <laughs> I mean, close your eyes. That's what it looked like. He. He couldn't see much and the only thing you could see that was glowing were the bullets that were coming at us the tracers the incoming fire so Jesus, it, man. yeah it was impacting all around him and he was just trying to hurry so
0: mm, god damn man that's horrible dude
1: yeah it was a rough day it, it was the, uh, i guess the worst day of my life but the second deployment the bigger battle was probably the the crazier i guess you could say engagement with the enemy Jesus, man. So when you um,
0: when you signed up to do the millet, did you think you're going to be in battles like this, or you thought you're just going to be?
1: I mean, you know? I, I knew I was going to deploy. I always wanted to go to Iraq. I used to grow up watching the videos of the Marines in Fallujah and Baghdad, and I always wanted to fight in Iraq. Um, and we had orders for Iraq of two thousand nine, um, but they were canceled, and we got put on with the uh, President Obama called for a surge of troops to go into Afghanistan because of the fighting that was increasing. And so there was like I – I don't remember how, what the number was, like 100,000 troops or something like that got activated. And, and then our commander said, our orders for Iraq are canceled. We're going to Afghanistan in 30 days. And it was like put everything down. You're going. So, um, so, yeah, I mean I knew I was going to get into the fight, whether that be small pop shots, whether that just be maybe some sniper fire, you know, maybe – just a little something. Obviously, maybe some rocket attacks. I, I didn't know to the extent. I knew I was going to see something, but I didn't know I was going to see what I saw in, in the amount of fighting that I did, both my deployments. Oh, man. But Afghanistan is just a different beast. It's different from Iraq. You know, Iraq is known for, um, you know, the enemy is known for hitting you with an IED, a roadside bomb, essentially, and then they run away. You know, they blow you up and run. Uh, Afghanistan, you got to look at the history. I mean... There's been fighting going on in that country since, what was it? Uh, I can't remember who who all fought there way way back in like the Jesus time. But people have been fighting there. I mean, the Russians got their asses kicked in the seventies. Um, you know, the British got their asses kicked. You know, we've been there for twenty plus years. Um, you know, they're just experienced fighters. Uh, it's in their blood. And, uh, yeah, so it's just the history of their fighting is just insane. Um, and and the guerrilla warfare, they know their land, they use it to their advantage the mountainous terrain, the cave canals like Vietnam. It's, it's insane. They, they, they love to do complex ambushes and attacks. They'll blow you up, set you up for failure, hit you with the high, low attack, you know, attack you from afar and then have a near side ambush within 20 feet of you. Um, they try to overrun you. They they attack you in numbers. They outnumber you all the time. So, they're very good fighters. I, I I definitely give them that. Yeah, it sounds it sounds
0: like well, they you know, they have to work with a lot less technical stuff. I, you know, I yeah. I don't
1: know, is that right or wrong? Oh yeah, no, they're a very very poor country. I mean, they do yeah. get funding and weapons from other outside sources and countries that don't like us and other terrorist organizations, but. I mean, they're pretty much humping and carrying everything around the mountains themselves, you know, bigger machine guns, weaponry. They're carrying all the ammo themselves through the mountainous terrain. They're infiltrating at nighttime. Um, You know, they, uh, yeah, it's it's not like they have tanks or anything, Um, you know, like, say, like a a country's army or something. Yeah. So, um,
0: tell me about this, the Modern War Institute. What's that all about?
1: Uh, Yeah, I did a, I did a, not a podcast, but I did a live seminar for West Point on Friday. Um, West Point, uh, the military academy for the army that's in New York. They have a, uh, the Modern War Institute. I don't know all of what they do per se, but, you know, they do study a lot of history, historical battles. Um, They teach a lot of these young cadets. Um, tactics and stuff like that and uh, they, they sometimes hold I think it's quarterly or annual uh, seminars and I was supposed to have flown out to West Point but they had me over Zoom because of Corona and yeah. uh, essentially I talked to the freshman class of a thousand cadets about my experiences through the two battles and um, how I applied small unit team tactics and, and you know the what leadership I saw and how I kind of provided resilience through and after the deployments yeah,
0: that's good, man. It's, you know, it's good to educate some of these younger people on, you know, so they know what to, to look out for when they start their
1: career. Yeah.
0: Um, anything else you want to talk about the book? Um, where do you get the book? That sort of thing.
1: Yeah, so uh, my book, so my most of my personal proceeds that I receive from the book Um, are going to go to a foundation that was made for my lieutenant who was killed my first deployment in that big battle, Um, the Tyler Parton Foundation. He was a West Point graduate as well. Um, My book right now can be found on Amazon. Uh, Again, the title is called Ghosts of the Valley. Uh, It's also on Nook or Kindle if you like to download and and have it on your phone or tablet. And then we're working on a double narrated uh, audio book right now in which – Um, my publisher got a guy to narrate the book. And, and, you know, when you read my book, you know, you actually see like, there's a bunch of italicized verbiage in there and that's essentially my internal thoughts throughout the book. And so like, you know, we're in the middle of a battle and something's going on, you'll, and then it'll like pause and then you'll see like internal thoughts while I actually went back and I recorded all of those internal thoughts. And then, so the book is going to be double narrated by this guy as well as my own voice in the audio book. So trying something something new, but that should be done here shortly as well.
0: That sounds pretty good. How How long do you think that's
1: going to take to do that? He's he's pretty much done with the book. Uh, we finalized the last chapter last week. He's just got to essentially cut and put it all together and get it over to the publisher. And then once the publisher gets it, um, he puts a tech guy in charge of getting it uploaded and all that stuff. And essentially that's it.
0: Sounds good. Well, thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, And uh, if anything else comes up, let me know. I'd like to have you back on. Yeah, definitely. The interviewer with Beef Tech. Thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or if you want to be on the show, you could email me at the interviewer with beeftech at gmail.com.